Welcome to the Books for Athletes podcast with your host, the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole. Mr. Cole, a former athlete and best-selling author himself, has set out to take you behind the scenes of some of sports' forgotten heroes. He sits down with former professional athletes, college athletes, and sports coaches as they share stories of triumph, defeat, dedication, and perseverance. Here's Kelly. What's up, everybody? It's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cole. Welcome to another episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. Today, I got a special guest, a legend. I don't know if how many people call him a legend, but he has so many different things he's accomplished in his life. But newly best-selling author, I don't know if he knows that his book is on the bestsellers list, but best-selling author, Mr. Tommy Z. Haynes. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I'm just so glad to get to this point because I've been meeting you a long time ago. I had to start writing and uh, just hearing the ideas and stuff, you know, just really lit something up inside of me. And uh, I wasn't going to be satisfied until we got uh, to this point. And I'm very satisfied so far and look forward to what we can do going forward. Awesome, man. Did you know your book has been on the bestsellers list for five weeks? No, I did not. Uh, <laughs> I really, really hadn't even looked at anything like that. <laughs> Congratulations, man. How does that feel? We'll just start there. How does that feel to have something in your mind and then now it's on the it's out of you and it's on the bestsellers list? Well, I tell you, it feels fantastic. Uh, it kind of gives me a new birth because especially coming out of a two-year COVID type of atmosphere, you know, um, and this just gives me a, that lift because um, I'm a people person. So it was kind of difficult, uh, you know, just doing what you do and have to stay within 10 feet of people and just the whole nine yards. And then on the best of us, I mean, that just really uh, takes my breath away. Uh, and I hope many people are blessed by reading because it was a blessing, this whole process. Awesome, awesome. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, what was it like, and where were you where, did, where were you born and raised? Let's start there. Yeah, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and that's, that was my hometown. Uh, I, but I've now lived in Kentucky 20, going on 29 years so I've been here long now been to my home birthplace but my sisters are still there in Nashville I, I still have 10 people there in Nashville and uh, the only ones up here is myself and my son uh, have daughters in Florida a son in Birmingham so I get to run the southeast pretty good uh, just seeing grandkids and kids and just uh, you know enjoying life in general that's good stuff yeah my son and my daughter both live in Nashville my son Fantastic. is with yeah, my son is a recording artist. He signed to a label in Nashville. And my daughter just graduated from Lipscomb University and was crowned Miss Lipscomb. And she showed, she's going right back to get her master's. So she just got her bachelor's. But I love Nashville, man. Only thing I don't like is the traffic. I tell you, and it hadn't, it hadn't always been that way. As a matter of fact, that's the new Nashville. Because <laughs> I grew up, you could go through Nashville. I called it the Little Atlanta. Because you got to know what time not to go through there. Yep, that's that's right. That's right. So what was it like growing up being the only boy and the youngest? What was that like? Well, actually, I got away with a lot because by me being the only boy, uh, you know, I, I didn't have to be in exactly when the uh, street lights went off. Uh, you know, I could get dirty and, you know, I didn't get any complaints because, you know, the girls had to kind of, you know, be girl like. Except for my oldest sister, uh, Janet, she was a tomboy. And she was actually my first competitor. And once I beat her running, I knew I was on to something. 
<laughs> so yeah, I know how those, you know, those sibling rivalries are. So so when did you start running? When did that happen? It happened at about uh, age 14. Uh, they they had some summer uh, programs going on and I, I've been running because I just like to run. I used to do flips, turn flips like somersaults and uh, just off the ground. And uh, they had some summer meetings and uh, somebody came around and, and actually it was parks and the different parks that uh, competed against other parks. And actually uh, I wasn't the fastest runner, but uh, once I got introduced into jumping, I could always jump for some reason and I would shorten stature. So people would say, uh, but little guy, he can really jump. You know, I, I could touch the rim, couldn't have a stop of basketball, still can't, wouldn't even try it, but because I had little hands. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as just jumping, uh, you know, from the time I was a little kid, you know, my kids, my parents would say, stop jumping in there. I jump from one couch to another chair, you know, just, you know, see how far I could jump. And one time I went overboard. Uh, I was about 14 at the time, and I was jumping over people laying on the ground. And unfortunately, when my feet hit, I slipped. And I fell back and busted the back of my head and had to take eight stitches. Wow. And I went holding my head together because I thought it was like watermelon and was going to get kicked in the water <laughs> to get split. But uh, that was my experience of how not to do it. <laughs> Good stuff. So when did you start jumping like professionally? Like when did you learn the art of triple jump? But that's, a, that's a good question because I had never heard of the triple jump. They didn't have it in Tennessee in high school. And when I went away to college, uh, I was a freshman. I was still just a long jumper. And it really wasn't until my sophomore year, my coach found out that uh, he said, well, he knew I would score in the long jump. But he said, well, let me uh, train you in this other event. We might be able to score some points in conference. Well, we had a, a person on my team who was a seven-time All-American out of the possible eight, you know, indoors and outdoors. And I just did what he did. The first time I ever tried to triple jump, I went almost 50 feet. Wow. And, uh, back then, that was a good jump because if you got over 51, you know, you were going to do something in NCAA. And, uh, you know, that particular you know, year, I just kept improving. And I never did beat that uh, one triple jumper that was at my school. He graduated. He broke the NCAA record his senior year. I broke his NCAA record my senior year. Wow. And, but that was, that was the last time, any other time I met him after that, I was able to beat him. Awesome. Awesome. So you ended up going to um, MTSU, right? Middle Tennessee right. State University. How did that come about? How did, did you get recruited? How did you end up at Middle Tennessee State? I had to beg because I was being recruited by everybody but uh, MTSU. Wow. And uh, wow. because, uh, the guy that was very, uh, he had a sprinter at my high school that went there and I wanted to follow him there. He told me that was a good coach there. Uh, you know, a, a national coach. I wanted to go over the coach informed me. They said, uh, Tommy, I, I like you, but one, I already have jumpers, and two, I don't have any scholarship. And my father had already told me, I, don't, I hear you talking about going to college. I don't know who you think I'm going to pay for. So uh, I knew I, was, I had a tough road, but fortunately, uh, I was able to get on a work-study program, and my work was washing the track clothes. Wow. But, no, but no other athlete knew that's what I was doing. Because I double back after practice and we go eat. I double back, watch the track clothes, do some extra workout, or do some homework. So I stayed caught up. And I just told this story uh, June the, the June the 4th or 5th, the, early, the first Saturday to 900 people 
who at Anthony's, because the coach had been there 57 years and he passed away. And I was speaking to them and they said, it's amazing how we never knew that you were not on scholarship and you ended up being one of the, one of the best, if not the best track athlete that came out of MTSU. So it was one of those that, that got me started in the triple jump. And one thing just led to another. I kept uh, breaking record after record and it, um, I broke the American record. And that was a real shocker because at that particular time we were saying you have the best jump that any American has ever made. Now, of course, records are made to be broken. So yes, this has been broken several times, but uh, it's just other athletes and they're getting faster, taller, stronger. The facilities are better, better equipment, better shoes. So it's expected that, but um, that was a whirlwind because when I went to Nashville, I had people to say that, uh, Tommy, there's somebody at MTSU that has the same name that you have, but they're good. Cause they remember me from high school. There's <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> no way that could be you. And plus my statue, people always think of a triple jumper being long, lanky, long legs. And I, I had good balance. I had a great speed and I became real strong. And then I worked on the technique that the coach, you know, had instilled in me. And uh, if you learn to do it right, it's a lot easier to keep improving. See, some people had learned it wrong and had to unlearn. Well, fortunately, I didn't have that. And I did have that at home. You know, I had to unlearn some stuff because uh, the coaches in high school said, just run down there and jump as far as you can. But that doesn't really give you a lot of uh, you know, sound technical jumping uh, techniques. Good stuff, good stuff. So what are some of those life lessons that, you know, being in track, triple jump, long jump, have taught you about life? What are some of those one, things? One of the main things it taught me is um, don't always, don't put your eggs in one basket. And it's because sometimes what you uh, think is your primary could be your secondary. For example, I thought I was a better football player than I was a track runner. I only... Um, ran track when I started in high school to stay in shape of football. Mm. You know, I played in the all-star game in football. You know, I was a quarterback, wanted to be a running back, wide receiver. I thought myself more like an Emmett Smith type. You know, I was short in stature, but I had very strong legs. It took a lot of people to bring me down, you know, and uh, in the all-star game, they had me playing some defensive back. I'm only 10, so, you know, uh, but back then they had quite a few people that were doing that and then the track took off then i said the long jump was was what i was banking everything on mm -hmm. never in my wildest dreams would i thought i would become a triple jumper my size me not ever knowing it and it's one of those that i said uh, okay you know just let go and see what god does and he, he kind of opened up and you just get a new uh, spirited uh, feeling about the event and i always tell the students today, my student athletes, I said, become a student of your bet. I said, I don't care what it is you do, become that student. Because the more you can learn about the event and your body, when you work toward it, you start meeting objectives. And, uh, you know, I never set all these goals, how people said, that, you know, when did you decide that you were going to try for the Olympics? I said, after I broke the American record, I thought that if I could do that, I should have a shot at the Olympics. You know, but prior to that, it was a matter of just constant improvement. I said, all I was doing is wanting to get a PR, personal record, personal best each time. And then what that did, it took the pressure off of me because then I didn't have to sit and say, well, I want to jump 55 feet. 
Well, you know, I might need it to jump 56th Street that day, you know, uh, when it's just a number and say, well, I want to do the best I can on this day. And I got a lot of good advice. One advice came from um, Wilma Rudolph, who was a Tiger Bell, and she was at the Olympics with me, and we had lunch. But first of all, I was thrilled. I'm sitting there, sitting with a gold medalist, a woman that I read about growing up. Right. And, uh, and uh, I asked her the question, what advice can you give me? She said, uh, just depend on your training. Don't look at the, your competition because it's not about them. She said, you know, let your training you know, work through. You know, what you've done, you just concentrate on what you're doing. And that was great advice. I did get off one time because my teammate got injured. But while we was warming up, his back went out and it took just the edge of my attention off. And, I, and it took me a while to get back in rhythm. But I said, I can't blame him for that because we had trained six months together. It was kind of hard just to turn your back and say, sorry about your luck, but this is the Olympics and uh, I don't have time to think about you. I just wasn't wired that way. You know, so I said, okay, take care of him and get back in the moment. And uh, it's like anything else. Before you look up, it's over. And you got to wait four more years you know, to give it a try. Wow. So how did you get to the Olympics? How does that work? How does an athlete make it to the Olympics? Okay, you have to um, qualify and have a qualifying distance or qualifying time. Uh, the Olympic Committee sets those. And uh, I was pretty much quali qualifying every time I competed. So I knew that I was going to the Olympic trials. And uh, that's what's uh, different about uh, our country and some of the other countries. Some of the best athletes are going to be on that Olympic team. You know, regardless of, you know, they doesn't come down to one meet. In the U.S., it's one day, one meet, maybe two days if they have qualifying rounds. And uh, the qualifying rounds of a triple jump is about 53 feet, nine inches. So you can take one jump, and if you get over that distance, you automatically qualify for the next day. And uh, they take the top nine. And they want 12 in all. So if they don't get 12 people, they'll take the next uh, few people, but you're taking a risk if you don't get that automatic. But those jumps don't count the second day. Mm. You have to start all over. And the same thing, you get three more jumps. And you, you know, you really don't care about the qualifying discipline. You want to be in the top three. If the top three make the Olympic team. Excuse me. One of the things that happened to me on that second day, I had a broken jump, which meant I got too high on my hop and been able to complete the jump. My second jump, I put one out there like toward the American record. But I fouled, went over the board by a little bit, my toe rolled over. I had one jump. Wow. Just to get in. And I was able to pull that off, uh, get a uh, legal jump. And that got me into the finals, which way you get three more jumps. And we go through that same process, only all these jumps count. And the top three makes the Olympic team. I got second at trials. And the guy that trained with me, that ended up later getting hurt. At third. So we made it in the triple jump. We trained together. And of all the people all over the United States, the two of us that trained together made the Olympic team in the same event. Wow. And that's, that's very rare. Hey, it's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cole. Listen, if you are a former professional athlete, if you are a former college athlete or sports coach, and you're looking to launch your speaking career, let me tell you, you need a book. If you're already out there speaking and you want to track more high-paid speaking engagements, 
you need a book. It's not about creating more content to post on social media. It's not about recording a bunch of videos. It's not about doing more podcasts. The number one secret to attracting more high-paid speaking engagements or even launching your speaking career is a book. Hey, I'm the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole, and I help former athletes and sports coaches create best-selling books in 30 days to launch their speaking career, even if they hate writing and don't know where to start. So for the first time ever, I've created a free case study video that will not only show you how to write a book from scratch in a little as 30 days and become a best-selling author, it will also show you how to attract more high-paid speaking engagements. Now, to check out this free case study video, click the link that says learn more or go to booksforathletes.com. Real quick before you go, do not go if you're not a former athlete or sports coach because you won't find any value in what I'm about to share. And don't go if your book is already out and already on Amazon. You won't find any value in what I share over there. But if you are a former athlete or sports coach, know that you need a book or um, already out there speaking and you want to launch your speaking career, go check out that link now. Writing a book is not as hard as you think. It doesn't even matter if you don't know where to start. My case study video will show you how to start and get it done and onto the bestsellers list. So go now. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the um, what where you got your silver medal? Was that the Olympics or what is those called? Was that a different game? No, that's a different game. That's the year before the Olympics. It's called a Pan American Games, and that's all all the countries and sports on South America, North America, Canada. That's where we compete, and most people. That's where they tune up for the actual the Olympics, you know, the following year. And down there, that's why I not only got the silver medal, I, that's why I broke the American record. Wow. And uh, that's why I met Sugar Ray Leonard for the first time. And uh, he and I favored each other at the time. And uh, I got mistaken, mistaken identity for him when I was at the White House. And that was one of the things I kind of featured in the book because, uh, you know, they had only seen us on TV. And we both had little, I call them TWAs, teeny weeny afros. You know, hey, you know, we rolled up. And I, I was wondering why the security people was pulling me along, uh, uh, you know, other than everybody else. I'm thinking, I said, well, maybe it's because I'm I'm in the military. You know, because they weren't asking the question, you need you need to go with us. So, you know, I go all the way to the top, and it wasn't until I get uh, upstairs in the, in the White House that I realized who they thought I was. And I said, uh, I'm not Sugar Ray Leonard, but I said, I know him. And I can I can go get it. They said, no, you stay right here. So they took care of me royally because wow. they didn't, you know, they don't want the newspapers to say, you know, we all look alike, we're mistaken hands for <laughs> Wow, that's cool. <laughs> so how was it meeting Sugar Ray Leonard? How was he? He was a great guy. You know, we actually followed each other for a while. Uh, I had some meets out in uh, Denver, Colorado, and he happened to be there promoting uh something at the time. He came over from down the stands. He saw me, came over, you know, just jumped up, gave me some tap. Then all of a sudden, people in the arena said, you know Sugar Ray Leonard? I said, yeah, but I, I didn't think he would remember me because, you know, we just talked on the balcony. And he was the captain of the boxing team, and I was the captain of the track and field team. So we saw each other also in some of the meetings. But, you know, he, he was a nice guy. You know, I knew after the Olympics, he had to go back and deal with some uh, issues they had at, at the house, uh, maybe mama drama, got him stuff, but uh, 
you know, that happens uh, with athletes uh, during that time, especially when you're in the limelight. And uh, I mean, uh, I've always enjoyed watching him train because, uh, you know, he had that little boxing bag going in there, and he was about my size, you know, mm -hmm. so I you know, really uh, kind of looked up at him. Matter of fact, I dressed up as it one time at one of these masquerade type parties in my younger days when we were looking like, and I had a nice body to go with it. <laughs> Good stuff, man. So how did you become the captain of the track team for the Olympics? Well, the, um, the track team, uh, they nominate you and they vote for you. And uh, I've, I've been very blessed. Every team I've been on, I've been the captain of the team. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think they see something in me that I don't see in myself. I think I care about the athletes that are there. I mean, this was from high school, college, all army track team, uh, and the Olympic team, you know, just always get elected captain. Matter of fact, sometimes I'll be trying to stay back. I said, no, if I, if, if, if I stay here, I'm going to get nominated. I said, it just happens that way. And, um, and I think the leadership part has helped when I was in the military because the same thing happens when I'm on boards or fraternities. I end up being the president, you know, mm -hmm. being, a, being a chairperson. You know, it, it's just an automatic. I have actually skipped going to meetings when I knew they was going to elect officers because I knew what was coming up. So I said, if I'm not there, you know, maybe I can just work in the background because sometimes you just want to be a worker. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I don't always want to be the one that has to uh, be in the front. Man, it's amazing that you say that because I was just talking to my kids about that and how God uses us because we don't want to be in the front. We get always called to the front and the right, one right. <laughs> in the front get pushed to the back. And it's just because of our heart, you know, and want to be servers. And like you said, I would love to go most places and just being the back and support. Yeah. But I yeah. always get called to the front. So I know exactly what you're talking about. All right. I was warning my children about that because my daughter, she's she's an amazing artist too. She sings and plays the guitar, my 16-year-old, but wow. she doesn't want to do it. She just wants to worship in church. She was like, I just want to lead worship in church. And I was like, baby, you're not going to be able to run from it. I right. said, so you might as well get ready. But um, <laughs> her heart is just so pure. She just wants to worship in church. But yeah, man, I, I can identify, identify with that. So how did you end up in the military? Well, during that time, uh, this is the early 70s, Vietnam was still going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was kind of mandatory that you took ROTC. And so I took ROTC in college uh, and, and you had to take it for two years. And then you could make up your mind whether, whether you wanted to stay in. I actually dropped out of it the uh, first uh, semester. And, but I started thinking to myself, you know, that was a for sure job when I graduated. Um, you know, I think they have some kind of track program I can continue running. You know, I thought, uh, let me, I, I went back and talked to the uh, ROTC people in charge and they said, well, yeah, during the summer, you can just take these and you can just pick right back up where you left. And after you finish in four years, um, you not only graduate, you, you get commissioned as a second lieutenant. Wow. So you go in as an officer that gets paid more than enlisted field. And that's another time I think the leadership skills help because I ended up being a commander three times. And I always tell people when you're a commander, you're either going to uh, get recognized for a lot or you're going to get relieved with being fired. And uh, because you are the person in charge of that unit. And if something goes wrong in that unit, you know, you're 
responsible, accountable, everything falls on your shoulders. And I chose to do that. And um, some of them were probably selfish because uh, I knew that I had to make some rank. Yeah. Going up and I was running track at this time. So in some ways I'm falling behind because where other people are doing this, I'm on our all army track team, you know, competing around the world, but you know, they don't see that. That's not part of your military assignment stuff. But uh, what made it uh, even better, when I came back from the Olympic team, you know, I got called into the general's office and the general said that, uh, uh, Tommy, uh, you're going to West Point. I told him, I said, I've already been to college. And he said, no, silly, not, not as a cadet, you're going there as a track coach. Wow. And I said, I said, I can do that in the military? He said, sure. And I said, well, sign me up. You know, uh, and we went up there and uh, we had an outstanding record up there, but we, we had powerhouses. You know, uh, we had a coaching staff that uh, was short of none. You know, Charlie Green was there, who was a gold medalist in the sprints back in 68. Mike Shine was there, who just had got a silver medal behind Edwin Moses at the 76 game. Uh, we had myself, he had uh, Randolph, John Randolph, who was a great distance coach. Uh, had one other person, uh, oh yeah, Bob Wallace, who was an outstanding job and thrower, and he trained all the uh, shot putters. So West Point took on just another whole level of competition. Now, I was actually eventually offered the uh, head coaching job. I would have been the first African-American at West Point, but I would have to give up my commission. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, the thing there is to beat Navy. And I just can't see that as my goal in life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just told the person I appreciate the compliment, but uh, I really haven't reached the uh, things I like to do in the military yet. That's awesome, man. Well, good stuff. You said y'all had a great record. What was y'all record? And I have it written down somewhere, but I want to say it was 52-7-1. and one. We had one tie. Wow. And one tie was with Navy, of all people. Wow. So they didn't like that. No, I mean, it's like kissing your sister. It's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff, man. So, um, hold on. I had a question wrote down. Um, all right. So if you can go back, like being who you are right now, with all the wisdom and the knowledge that you have, what is a word of wisdom that you would tell your 18-year-old self? Okay, my 18-year-old self, I would tell him that once, start documenting uh, what you're doing, because one day you might write a book. And uh, it, it'd be so much easier if you had this stuff documented, realizing that uh, back during my time, the Polaroid camera from uh, Kodak, the Instamatic camera, and the new camera to go, eh, 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 eh. Yeah. You know, so we, we didn't have all of the pluses that they have now because I do have uh, you know, my, my two daughters, and both of them are doctors. Um, you know, one's a family practice down in Daytona Beach, and the other's a chiropractor in Tampa, and my sons are more on the technical side, and my oldest son does heating and air conditioning, and my youngest son does electricity, electrical engineer. And, uh, but I've told them the things the whole time up to find out what you enjoy doing. Yeah. And then uh, put your heart into that, because the one that's a uh, heating and air conditioning, hated school, you know, uh, when he when he did follow my footsteps, went in the army and listen. And when he came out, he would just want to stay home. And I said, Well, son, that's what I would have wanted to do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, stay home and wait for the next meal. I said, but that's not, not why God would have me here. So, what do you like doing? He said, well, I like working with my hands and like generators. So I went to one of the technical schools and got an application. And by him being in the military that short period, it, it paid for his technical school. He went on and got into competitions, found out he was really good at it. And uh, now he's working at the Lexington Airport, one of their top heating and air conditioners. And they have some big ones. Uh, but I, I look back to that turning point because I knew that was going to be a turning point because either, you know, I was going to kill him, you know, uh, he's, he's got to go out some kind of way because uh, it wasn't going to work. You know, I didn't see us working together as a team. And uh, just about all of them have had to have a little bunch. But, uh, you know, I, I found that when they find that niche, uh, they just seem to do so much better than something I would have wanted them to do. They're just trying to find out what it is they enjoy doing. Can you put your heart into it? Can you can you get paid for it? Right. Because you know you got to, you got to have some income coming in to you know, keep life going. That's it. That's it. All right. So what was it like? Number one, first thing, what was it like working with us? Oh, it, it was it was great because you know uh, I had had in the back of my mind you know uh, to tell the truth, my first thought was a book on before I die. And I just thought, eh, that's kind of morbid. But it was one of those, I, it was some things I, I talked about how I've been blessed. And I said, my own family don't know how much I've been blessed. Because, you know, they don't, they either were young and they, they couldn't see it. It looked like I'm just going through life because my, my daughter who has a, a medical practice, she said, well, Tommy, I just thought that, she said, Dad, I, I think, I thought that's just what you did. You ran track in high school, you run track in college, you're running in a she said, I, I thought that's just, that was the progression until she ran track. And she ran track in high school and she ran track in college. And she saw how difficult it was just to do well on the collegiate level, right. much less beyond. And when you get on the international scene, you know, it don't get any easier. Every, everything is tough. So, um, and I think it has been, you know, one of those. Uh, I forgot the question. I do that sometimes. Stop talking. I forget. What no, you good. What was it like working with us? What was it like right, right. publishing and, 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 and it gave me some focus because, uh, you know, you can be, you can think about a book all you want, but you know, until someone pins you down and say, you know, well, what was you write about? And you know, you know, I, I really enjoyed the cover thing. You know, the, the difference because it showed different aspects. You know, the military, an athlete, you know, uh, in the Olympics, you know, and it just, you know, showed those type of things. So at least I got it out. But I have people in my family that didn't know I made an Olympic team. Wow. Because you have to realize when I, when I went to the military, I'm way away from everybody. You know, nobody, nobody sees me. They just know that he's in the military. You know, and they lose track. Some of them don't follow athletics. So they don't, and then look at the Olympics. And if they did, they wouldn't knew, they wouldn't have known to look for me. And then, you know, I come back and uh, get into politics. But very few people knew I was in the politics. I was never interested in politics. So it's one of those, I think, working with you all gave me that focus. And 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 the Lord just kind of blessed, you know, in some nights of sleep and a you know how you know you just start writing certain things and i don't know how this thing is going to go but it ended up 
Then I made it to triple jump. The triple jumps, phases uh, are the hop, step, and jump. And I said, uh, I hopped to the Olympics, stepped in the military, and jumped into politics. Because those are the three things that uh, my phases of that period of time. And see, the book itself is only like 113 pages. It covers 50 years. Wow. You know, so it was, uh, I, I was pleased with it being relatively concise, an easy read. Uh, that tells just enough, and a lot of I've gotten compliments about the print. They say I was so your book was so easy to read because normally you know the letters are real small and stuff, and uh, some of the stuff just came together. And I think through prayer and believing in you guys because uh, you, know, you all had done it before, you know, and I didn't have a clue, and some of the stuff still don't have a clue. But you know, I know the Lord will make a way some way. So some of these things that keep getting set up is not uh, because of me. It's just uh, I think He wants me to put that message out there. And uh, I just spoke at a predominantly white church uh, this past Sunday, and I was able to, you know, just I, I gave one of the uh, you know pastors people that got me to speak there um, one of my books, you know, because uh, uh, he used to he he had run for city commission when I ran. He just didn't make it in there. Um, and then about them having the 19th, June, Juneteenth, uh, you know, working with them to baby, certain things just kind of fit together. And I said, okay, uh, I'm just watching how the Lord works this thing uh, out because he's done it all my life. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to lean on him all the way. That's awesome, man. Would you recommend others working with us to get their book done? Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, I hope people ask me uh, that question. They said, uh, that they have thought about writing a book. And uh, most people, you know, they got you know, and you all, this to you all, you, you got to be prepared to, to invest in yourself. I think that's where people have a, a hang up. I was, one, I was at a good time in my life that uh, the money wasn't as tight as it would have been back when I was running track. You know, we know somebody to give me some shoes, but, uh, you know, it was a time, and then I'm working with people who've done it before. And I've learned that. You can't beat experience. If the person has done it themselves, you can learn from that person. You know, uh, and, and you all seem to have a heart for it. And uh, that's another thing that, you know, it takes. You know, uh, it, it's like, you know, people even now want me to coach them. I said, uh, I won't coach you, but I will. I coach groups of coaches to coach their people because I can reach more people that way. I said, uh, you know, me coaching one-on-one, I did that years ago. And I said, but uh, you know, now it's time to spread the world. Well, you all are the one-on-ones in your field. We've worked with numerous people. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what was it like to finally hold it in your hand? When you finally held that book in your hand, what was that like? Oh, and I tell you what was outstanding was when they first, when they, when they even sent me a picture of the cover. Oh my, you know, that was uh, probably my biggest thrill at first because that's what I share. Mm. You know, right there's on Facebook or send a person, let them know, you know, I got a book coming out. And when you can see that, you know, actually, you know, in print. And uh, and I just got the hard copy this week. Got the hardback, yeah. The hardback, yeah. So I kind of cut my face off here, but uh, I said, we had to go with the flow. Yeah, maybe a little bit. 
but it felt good to see that graphic. So we brought that vision to life and that, man, how was that? What was the feedback you got from that? Oh, the feedback was excellent. You know, you know my daughter wanted me to have some different kind of wings out there. And I said, I'm a guy. And I said, I want wings. It don't have to be uh, the horse, you know, there's on TV. It doesn't have to be a certain kind of wing. <clears throat> she didn't mention, she said, why come you didn't use the track wings? And I said, track wings are small. And I said, you can make them big. But um, and I said, I think you know, the wings need to stand there. And that title came to me one night when I was laying in the bed. Wow. With the air, and I woke up laughing. And I said, I don't know if that'll work or not. So when I first threw that out, you know, I said, I said oh, I like that. I said, wow, okay, that's a possibility. And, then I, and I've had some other feedback from people that are, are in pretty much in the field on the day, kind of develop coaches. And one of the guys named Sean said, he said, that's the best title he's seen in a while. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, man. All right, so one more bit of word of wisdom that you would give somebody that's going to read your book or about life or whatever, because I love to glean from elders, man. Give us some wisdom, and then we'll let them know how to get your book and where to follow you at. But word of wisdom. Yo, what up? It's your girl, JC. And listen, I have to send a special shout out to my guy, Mr. Kelly Cole, and the entire team at Publishing Advantage Group and Books for Athletes. They took so great care of me to the point that I know I'm the pickiest person. This book was supposed to have been finished last summer. However, there were some details that I needed to make sure that the book had because my audience needed it. And, you know, when it comes down to feeding and serving the people, especially as a former athlete and telling your story, you know you cannot be selfish with the material and give it away. And they worked with me from the time of my thought process to the time of conception all the way down to now top 20 hot release best-selling author on Amazon in 24 hours. Listen, if you're an athlete, you have a story to tell and you don't know how to put it in book form just yet don't worry you're not alone okay hit my guy mr kelly cole and tell him what you're trying to do and i promise you he gonna get you right all right and of course check me out on amazon after the season shout out to the books for athletes family and one of those things that uh i found out you you know stand for something or you'll fall for anything and i found that to be true throughout life and regardless of uh, what i do you know i stand on the word of god and um when, when all else is going crazy around me, I go back to his word because uh, I learned a long time ago that, you know, people will fail. If you if you believe only in yourself, you're going to have failures. And I think those failures are not failures if you're in the word of God because all they do is prepare you to do, to, to do better, to be better. And as, uh, you know, through life, I've done that. When I followed uh, Dean Hayes, who was the coach, in Middle Tennessee, and people thought I was crazy for turning down scholarships and going to a place that didn't have one. But my heart felt like I needed to be there. So it didn't matter uh, who was telling me what. I was praying that I made the right decision to this school. And then I see how things turn out. And, uh, you know, I realized, and, and it happens over and over again. The same thing with the military when I almost didn't go in, was going to get out, you know, after much prayer. Those thoughts start coming. What are you going to do if you don't do this? You're going to go out to interview jobs. You know, the, at the time, didn't have a family, but, you know, preparing for having a family and that kind of stuff. And uh, jump back in and say, okay, I made a mistake. I need to go back and correct. I was getting on me. And I was thinking, hey, I want to go in there. I don't want to be in no, no military, you know, uh, just being, uh, you know, a kid in college, you know, uh, and didn't have a, 
anybody really guided me that way because my father never was in the military. I had an uncle that was in, but nobody had talked to me about those kind of things. And, uh, and through life, you know, I found out by having a faith in something that's solid, um, even when it was time for me to get married, you know, uh, my wife and I was married for 46 years before she passed away with cancer. And it was one of those, you know, it, it helped us to bond. The kids uh, see the same thing when they come up and they say, we never seen uh, you and uh, mom argue. And I said, well, we didn't argue in front of you. That don't mean that we didn't, we never argued. But mm-hmm. I, I, we just said that we have a disagreement. And sometimes you know, life is about compromises and finding, okay, now what's best? It's not a matter of who's right and who's wrong. You know, what's best for a situation to get through? And I've also found out regardless of what situation we find ourselves in, God is always higher. He's always more powerful. So it's one of those, it doesn't matter what's going on at the time. And we've had some things in the family, whether it's uh, depression, you know, person has turned to alcohol uh, you know we, we've had some setbacks uh, pregnancies you know and work through all of those and in the end I say you still take it to God because you know he knows what's uh, best for us all and you know he can help us do anything that we go through and that's my advice and then tell you my biggest concern is at, at the way life is going right now and kids don't get a taste of it you know, all they have to do is just, I don't mind if somebody make up their own mind and they have the information to do it, but they're not getting it, the basic information. And then they're depending on people in the streets. And I think that's why we hear about shootings, we hear about drug um, increase, you know, uh, because they're depending on self, self-survival. And, you know, God didn't put us here to be self-survivors. You know, we are a unit. Well, just so I can close out one thing, one of the things that I've seen people that uh, the most happiest is those who have find, found their purpose in life. And that's the age old question when people say, what, what is my purpose? And see, my purpose was easy because it was one of those, you know, uh, I'm one of those that I, I just want to serve and say, how can I best serve? And the first start, I, I had to serve the right person. And once I found that, you know, uh, I had to believe in the, the word of God, but then I also had to be able to use it in a way that's not threatening the people. You know, people don't want to be lectured to, you know, uh, but when they can see you in sports, they see it different. If they can see you in military, they see it different. If they see you in a political way and they say that you're not like everybody else, you seem to not just want to tell us what you think we want to hear. You tell us something, you tell us why you, you think that way. And they say, most of the time we hear you say that you've prayed about it. I said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a, I feel that I'm a man of prayer because I believe prayer changes things. I said, but that's just me. If you want to talk to yourself or talk to your psychologist or talk to somebody you highly respect, that would be fine. But as for, for me, you know, um, I, I depend on searching on things that have been proven over time, not something that's just a fad. And uh, the ones that have tried it, and some of them are not all believers. They just believe in the uh, fact of, okay, let me find one thing that I can do and do well, and I enjoy doing it, and I can get paid for it. Yeah. And But they come back, and they say, well, I've gotten to this point. And I say, well, have you prayed about it? They say, well, no, I thought about it a lot, though. I say, okay, you're getting there. 
I said, well, who, who are you taking your advice from? You know, and they might tell me, I talked to this friend. Okay, are they doing what you're trying to do? Because otherwise, you know, just blind leading the blind. And uh, so it, it really has just followed. And I, when I wrote this book, so I wrote it to be more inspirational because uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of my own. And I've just been inspired by allowing God to use me. And uh, it's just so many things he's done over time that it's not even in the book. But, you know, you just, you know, uh, at some point, you know, you had to cut it off. Yeah. It would still be in the draft stage. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So where can the people get more information about you or follow you online? I'm going to put the link to your book below this video so they can go directly to Amazon and get it. But where can they follow you, connect with you online? Hey, all of mine are at Tommy Z. Haynes, whether it's Instagram or uh, Facebook. That's the tagline. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview, sir. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and leaving us reviews. And be sure, if you're interested and you want to get your book done, make sure you check out our free case study video at www.booksforathletes.com. Also, if you'd like for me to come to speak to your students or you're having an event and you need a speaker, I would love to be a part of it. Just shoot me an email at booksforathletes.com. Until then, we'll see you on the next episode.